Sex Adjustment Sunday, 60 days more or less before Easter. We are in that pre-Lenten season I talked about last week, so I am hoping, uh, as I mentioned last week, it is time to prepare, to prepare, to prepare. I'm hoping that we are all considering and preparing to keep a holy Lent. Yet this preparation for Lent is not the only theme that is connected historically with Lent. There's another theme, evangelism. And you're like, well, that's interesting. Lent is the time to prepare for Easter. And Easter is the time to celebrate resurrection. The most important way we celebrate resurrection at Easter is to baptize people into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes, those to be baptized are generally catechumens during Lent. They're in preparation. They're learning. They're they're going through the catechism. Um, They are learning what the faith is all about. But this general theme of evangelism has been historically connected to Lent because of this baptisms at Easter theme. In other words, the baptizing of the catechumens reminds us that people need to hear the good news about Jesus before Easter, if they're to be baptized at Easter. So go tell people about Jesus during Lent. Now, I'm sure you're not going to be surprised when I say we should, of course, be telling people about Jesus all year long. But may we have an emphasis this Lent on sharing our faith. Even as a discipline, Sharing Jesus with someone who does not know him would definitely count as an act of charity, which is generally supposed to be a part of our Lenten disciplines. So think about it that way, this Lent, if you will. Keeping this theme in mind, let's look at the epistle lesson. I don't know about you, but there have been some Lents in my life that have gone down as infamous. I was just telling people or someone about this in a conversation last week. Quite often, Satan's minions take a hand at trying to stop us from keeping a good Lent. I'm sure you can all remember Lents that have been like that. I actually have names for them, but I'll tell you later. Um, Perhaps none of the happenings recounted by St. Paul in our epistle lesson happened during the Lenten time. But nonetheless, oh my, what a Lenten discipline the apostle went through over and over and over again, it seems, from the reading. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was... I mean, this is a miracle this guy's still alive, right? I mean, I'm sure I'd be dead at the first sentence. A night and a day I've been in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Thanks be to God that our Lenten discipline primarily involves fasting and we don't have to add all these other things to it. St. Paul was, you know, after all, all about the mortification of the body. And he apparently had multiple opportunities to mortify his body during his ministry. The question is, are we taking the opportunities to do the same in our lives? When a trial comes along, especially during Lent, are we thanking God for it 
and working through it to his glory. We should keep in mind St. James' admonition to consider it a joyful experience. And we should take that opportunity to put to death the complaining flesh and seek to grow in our walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In case we are unconvinced that the Lenten time is important in our lives, we are reminded by the gospel lesson today that bringing forth fruit from the seed of the gospel is not a done deal in any of our lives. This parable is often called the parable of the sower, but it might or it might more helpfully be described as the parable of the soils. So as we read through a, a kind of a summary of what's been said, and I'm going to connect up the interpretation with the, the parable, I want you to think in your hearts, okay, which soil is my heart? Where am I right now? Because honestly, at any given day, we can be any one of these soils. Some seed fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God. He then explains that first, the, that first type of soil, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. There is such a thing as apostasy. There is the possibility for all of us that we just one day allow Satan to remove our faith that we give up, that we become faithless and miss the mark. He talks about the second soil. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. He then explains that the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And we've all been there multiple times in our Christian lives. The temptations may be small and the sins comparatively small, but sometimes just a series of those will take us, pretty soon we're not on the path anymore. And our goal, our telos in life is not Jesus anymore. So be wary. Think about what soil do I have today? What have I had generally in the last season, year, years? The third soil is a soil full of thorns. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Jesus explains that the seed that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Maybe we're going to church every Sunday, but you know this bit over here is really more important than my faith and my walk with God. And you know, earning money and being able to spend money how I want, well, that ends up being more important than um, listening to the sermon or, you know, whatever, my walk with God. It's very easy to do that and to be pulled aside and astray, even when we're in church every Sunday. Jesus finishes the parable with the fourth type of soil. But other seeds fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. He explains that the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. There is a job to be continually done by us. And that job is to constantly prepare the soil of our hearts and to work the garden of our hearts those gardens are often not the prettiest of pictures. 
Hamlet speaks the image that can easily come to mind if we're honest about our own hearts. Or the world out there in the garden of the world. He says, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie on it, fie on it. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed, things rank and gross in nature. The world and our hearts is not an unweeded garden because it was created thus. It is an unweeded garden, unweeded garden because of man's sin, because of our own sin in our own hearts. And our hearts are the place from which the weeds naturally spring. Hamlet is not alone in this view of the world, though the view gets a particular perspective in modernity, in the last 150 years. I'm currently in my high school literature class teaching Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground. Inevitably, during such a time as this, when I'm teaching Dostoevsky, he, Dostoevsky, forces his way into my sermon. So my apologies beforehand. Dostoevsky, in my opinion, rightly diagnoses the modern perspective on Hamlet's words and attitude. Please keep in mind that the author's own life experience helped him to his conclusions. In God's, <laughs> in God's grace, he used a very difficult time in Dostoevsky's life to help him to grow and learn. He spent 10 years in the gulag in Siberia because he had become part of a group of intelligentsia rebels, so to speak, and the um, government was on to them and arrested them all, and actually he was put before a firing squad, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they actually pulled the trigger and there were no bullets in there. Uh, so he heard the word fire and said, this is it, bye-bye. And then they marched him off for 10 years in Siberia. And he lived there with just the average person, not with the intelligentsia types, not with the, the noblemen, but with the average person. And his experience gave him a window in what was going on in his culture and arguably what was happening all over the Western world during this time period, during the blossoming of the Enlightenment in the last 150 years or so. And I think he has a lot to teach us today as we are feeling the effects of the postmodern, which is just really another version of modernity. Joseph Frank, a Dostoevsky scholar, says it this way. Dostoevsky, on a personal level, realizes the agonizing need of the human personality to express itself and how that need is linked with the irrational self-destruction of the individual if this need is not satisfied. This is, really, this is today's headline. He continues, if we raise this to a metaphysical level, we all have the need to live in a meaningful world that does not make a mockery of one's self-consciousness and the dignity of one's personality. 
the risk of giving a lecture on Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground, which I'll try not to do. Our world is full of people who are hurting because there is no meaning in this world. Any meaning that you have in the postmodern world for particularly anyone, say, under 40 years of age, any meaning at all is existential. You have to come up with it yourself. That's why we hear all this, well, your truth isn't my truth. I've, I've developed my truth so that I can have some meaning in my life. That's why they're doing it. I don't think it's particularly because they want to live in this world where nothing makes any sense, but they're doing it because they're searching for meaning. And if the only option is to make up your own, then I'm going to take a shot at it, right? Because to live in a world with no meaning means that your own self-consciousness, your own mind and talking to yourself doesn't mean anything. That your personality, you, you as a person have no dignity. You have no reason to exist. There's nothing to live for. And that's a horrible place to be. Dostoevsky rightly saw this starting back in the mid-1800s in Russia. And I think it's only continued to blossom and move along into our day and age now. Back to Shakespeare. Hamlet considers the Imago Dei, the image of God, in man in another speech in the drama. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. In form, in moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. This is a picture of the biblical view of God's creation of man. But considering the ugliness and the unweeded garden that, that, that Hamlet's dealing with in the play, that comes out of man's heart, he says further, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. Hamlet got the problem back before it was kind of a thing in our modern world. Hamlet's looking at the results of sin in the drama, right, in the play. And he sees this biblical picture of man. And, it's, and, and you know, he can point to all sorts of stuff going on in, in Shakespeare's day itself that would point to this. But then he says, but look at this ugly sin. Man is just a quintessence of dust. Which reminds us of Ash Wednesday, where I will go around and say putting ash on your forehead and say, remember, O man, that from dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. It's amazing paradox that Jesus, the second person of the, or the, the, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, became dust for us, even though we're quintessence of dust, yet we're worth God coming to earth for. We are made in the image of God, yet if we do not use well what we've been given in our baptism and in our confirmation, what we've been given by our mother, the church, then I can imagine God might respond with, man delights not me. Yet God loved us enough that he might delight in us through the atoning work of Jesus the Christ. 
Dostoevsky's underground characters are not delighted with man any more than Hamlet was in the play. Though, like I said, Dostoevsky's characters have a particularly modern way of expressing it. In some fashion, they are particularly not delighted with themselves. We have a society dominated by this issue today. Suicide rates are at an all-time high. The first line of notes from the underground is, I am a spiteful man. Hmm. Well, this promises to be lovely, doesn't it? And the book continues with this collision course between the main character who wants meaning, but whose intellect has showed him there is no meaning. So he is constantly battling himself. So how do we, the church of Jesus, respond to this world, to this suicidal world that is dealing with this paradox? Well, to be simple, it's always a good place to start, our job is to work that soil of our hearts. Our job is to weed that garden. Lent is the perfect time to take a close look at the garden of our heart, to turn the soil over, to enrich the soil. It is also the perfect time to help others see that they have a garden with that, with a little help from God, can be weeded. We want to hear the word with a noble and a good heart. We want to keep the seed of the word and bear fruit from that seed with patience. And in that process, we want to help others to do the same. I know that in today's world, if we need an onion, we just go down to holiday and we buy an onion. Growing an onion, however, is a whole different thing. It takes patience to have what you need from the garden. It takes patience to have what you need to live your life well in the sight of God and man. It takes patience to love your neighbor into the good news of the church and to see him sitting there next to you on a Sunday morning. It takes for both you and your neighbor receptive ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it takes a receptive soil of the heart. Let us pray for our hearts and our neighbors and our friends' hearts to be receptive soil for the seed of the gospel. May we hear the word of God today and each day of our lives with such ears and with such soil or hearts. May we work the soil of our hearts this Lent to make the ground more receptive to that word and more likely to bear good fruit. And may some of that fruit be the seed planted in the hearts of those we know that do not know our Savior Jesus. Amen.